0: Welcome to ProGrace on Abortion, Real Talk, No Politics. I'm Angela Wesley, CEO and co-founder of ProGrace. We are a community of people who want to have the conversation around abortion. Now, it's not currently happening in our churches because there's so much tension around the debate and having a civil conversation is hard. The church is divided, but it's time to come together. And the way we'll do that is to model our approach after Jesus, not politics. If you feel like you don't really belong in either the pro-life or pro-choice camp, and you think surely Jesus has a better way, then welcome to the ProGrace community, a place you can belong. Welcome back to the podcast. So glad you've joined us as we have new non-political conversations about the abortion issue. And today I'm really glad to welcome my guest, Dr. Alvin Sanders, President and CEO of World Impact. Great to have you here today, Dr. Sanders.
1: Glad to be with you, Angela. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. We're going to talk about the study uh, that you all partnered with Barna on called Inside the Urban Church, which we both care deeply about. But first, I'd love to hear more about what you do, your vision um, for the urban church, and why you partnered with Barna for this study.
1: Yeah, so I'm president CEO of World Impact, mm-hmm. and the vision of World Impact is to see a healthy church in every community of poverty. So um, the world has a problem, and that is that 95% of its pastors have no formal theological training. Wow. And we believe. That's because the training is not affordable and accessible enough. Mm. So we want to train pastors and communities of poverty around the world, bringing the training to them in a way that's affordable and accessible. Because we believe trained urban pastors lead to healthier churches, which leads to community engagement, which leads to flourishing neighborhoods. And that's essentially why we partnered with Barna for this study. We wanted to actually test and see if our theory of change actually is true. And we're happy to report that it is mm. based on this research.
0: And can you talk about that? Because that was actually my first question. I highlighted in the study your theory of change and what comes through as your love for the church. So talk about that a little bit more, You know, your, your vision, your theory of how we can see the church really be the church.
1: Yes. So we believe that, uh, you know, the church is a major part of urban institu- urban communities, I should say. I, I know people, sometimes they shudder because they don't like to think of the church as an institution. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that the church plays an institutional role mm-hmm. and it's the institutions that help shape society. So religious institutions play key roles. And we believe that the local Christian church, if you find that there's something good mm-hmm. happening in a neighborhood, Nine times out of 10, the local urban church is connected to it or an originator of it. So, like I said earlier, we wanted to test that hypothesis and and we found a number of things in this study that um, healthy churches engaging their community really does contribute to the flourishing of the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And I totally saw that study. And so I want to start with what jumped out at you? Were you surprised by anything? Um, I have so many questions to ask you because, you know, our passion is to see the church leaning in in the abortion issue uh, for flourishing, exactly like you're talking about. So what jumped out at you from the research that shows where this is being done well?
1: Well, the biggest thing that, that jumps out is the fact that contrary to a lot of studies about churches in their communities, urban churches are seen in a very positive light. By both the civic leaders, the church and the unchurched, people really don't have a a hang up with the urban church. Of course, the urban church is not perfect, but it's seen in a very positive light, particularly amongst those who attend urban churches. Ninety one percent of them said that they uh, believed in their pastor and that the pastor had their best interests in mind. And we, you kind of think, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. But again, that's a outlier in all of the other research that's going on in this present church, I guess for lack of a better term, deconstruction moment. So that's a huge thing that, uh, that the church folk believe that their pastor has their best interests in mind. Therefore, they're willing to follow the pastoral's lead. If that pastor decides that they want to engage the community for the common good and those who are unchurched as well, they expect the church to engage the community, even if they don't go to it, they still believe that the church has a, a prominent moral voice for their neighborhood and for the city for that matter.
0: Yeah. And I really was interested and in, um, I read your summary in the research, what jumped out is one of the main issues both the church and the unchurched people think the church could address in the community is loneliness. They see the church as having an answer for that. When you think about that, what are the implications for that um, in terms of the kingdom, what God's calling us to do, that that that's one of the biggest things we can do is offer community.
1: You know, that was a pleasant surprise.
2: Mm.
1: The unchurched, when they look at the church, they just see the church is one of many different institutions that can help their neighborhood be a better place.
2: Yeah.
1: But when asked, Hey, well, what, how can the church really, really help your neighborhood be a better place? It was addressing the problem of loneliness or belong what I call belonging. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like you think of Starbucks, right? Starbucks is famous for building its model on the third space concept. It's not, it's not work. It's not home they're they really what starbucks is creating for you is a third space a communal space and oh by the way have some coffee right but think about how many times if you said hey meet me at starbucks for a meeting right you wanted a more uh, you didn't want it as intimate as your house but you also didn't want it in a sort of stodgy office you wanted a casual place where you can meet with somebody and just engage and talk with yeah yeah well people kind of see the church that way you know they're in their community. They're lonely. They're looking for really a place to belong. And the church is a trusted place that they can come and they can feel like they can engage, especially when it comes to things like, for instance, when a George Floyd situation happens, they're looking for spaces for social solidarity to be able to work out what they're thinking concerning justice issues and, and issues with marginalized folk. They see the church as a safe space that they can wrestle with and work these things out. Obviously, church folks see it that way, yeah. but also unchurch folk and civic leaders look to churches to help them figure out the moral issues of the day, Yeah, which is a huge opportunity for a church to be able to engage its community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't have the studies in front of me. We'll link some in the show notes, but what's bubbling up inside me is people who are writing on the fact that we have an epidemic of loneliness. In this country, um, there's there's generational issues Absolutely. with it, so it's harder for Gen Z. Um, I just I just wonder if this isn't a moment where God wants to do a new thing, where—I'm um, trying to frame this—we've we've been so focused on the church, I don't know, maybe standing for moral issues, and clearly we know God has the best way for all of us to live. You know, that's so true. Is God highlighting to us that we're missing an even, even deeper human need? That he created the church to fulfill, which is belonging, like you said, and that it's actually in community and belonging where we're able to better live out those lives, right, to have support for that, to have care. But, you know, I just wonder if, and I don't want to talk negatively of the church because I agree with you, I love the church as well, but I think there's some learning in here, like you say, as we're deconstructing a bit. Maybe have we thought about that enough as being important, the role of us being a family to each other and to our community? And I don't know what you have to say in the context of the urban church with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, we live in a, I, I would say we suffer in a time of hyper individualization.
2: Yes, yes I, I mean, agree.
1: Everything is so succinctly individualized yeah. that community and belonging has been forgotten. Yeah. But the great thing about the church, regardless of what era that we're in, human beings are always going to need a place to belong. And a lot of people overlook the fact that the Bible is written as a community book, so to speak. When the Bible speaks, it's never talking to us individually. We take it and we apply it individually, and that doesn't hurt anything, but it's always assumed that the Christian life is going to be lived in community. I mean, what drives me crazy is when people say stuff like, Oh, I don't need to go to church. I I can just meet with my friends at Starbucks and where two or three are gathered together in his name. That's the church. I lose my mind when I hear that because that is a misapplication of scripture.
2: Mm.
1: That is not the church. That's you and your friends having a good time at Starbucks. The church has so many other aspects of it. We've already talked about the institutional aspect, but it's a place of worship. It's a place of evangelism. It's a place of authentic relationships and fellowship. Yeah. It's a place where we do life together
2: Yeah,
1: and everything that we see in the scriptures is written to a community of people, whether it's the community of people as the tribe of Israel or whether it's a community of people in the New Testament as the church. Yeah. But if it, it's it's remarkably simple, Angela, if the church will actually focus on being the church, they will address this loneliness thing yeah. you know we can have all the bells and whistles we want you can we can have the the led screen behind us and the smoke screen and the whatever you want to call it that's not what people are looking for this mm-hmm. study says this study says at least folk in the urban environment they're like man i'm awfully lonely Yeah, and i am willing to look to the church to meet me in this place of loneliness, yeah, a great opportunity for the church just to be the church.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, from your experience and your work or what you saw in the research, you know, what are some of the top ways the church can start doing this in this cultural reality? I know you mentioned people who are marginalized. You know, we have a passion for those facing unintended pregnancy or abortion. At the same time, all of us have struggles and challenges where we feel alone with it, right? So what can the church do to be better able to address the loneliness factor, like why aren't people? Well, I'd say our research shows when they're um considering abortion, they don't run to the church for community and help, right? like what how what are we doing that's blocking being that community for people who need us, and what does your study show? how can we overcome that? and, like you say, start to be the church and be a welcoming, safe community?
1: Yes, yeah, so when someone's in the city and they're looking. And they have an issue, like say abortion, this, this, or whatever it may yeah. be. If they don't have a Christian background, you wouldn't expect them to look to the church because they don't even know what the church is. Right. right? So, but they are going to look for a place like, um, pro grace. Right. Or they're going to look for a, another place or somewhere to help them deal with whatever the issues that they're, they're working with. So it's very important then that the church puts itself in partnerships Mm. with different organizations.
2: Yeah.
1: So that these organizations know the services that a church offers. So for instance, two of the biggest outreach services that churches offer in urban environments are food pantry and counseling services.
2: Yeah.
1: So one of the what the research says is one of the weaknesses is that a lot of the other institutions within the community do not know what their local churches offer mm. so we've done a poor job of say we've done a great job of offering the services we've done a poor job of sort of for lack of a better term advertising the services and letting the people know in the neighborhood hey we're here yeah right so we're here so it'd be like you know when someone comes into a, a, a pregnancy mm-hmm. care center and they say i'm thinking about having an abortion i don't know what to do how powerful would it be if it's christian that you or whatever group could say, Hey, here's four or five pastors you could talk to about this issue. Pastors that, you know, pastor that you have vetted pastors that, you know, um, are going to help that person come to a great decision about what they want to do with the situation that they're in and show a lot of grace and not show a lot of political leanings and things of that nature. So that's how the neighborhood gets to know, Oh, if you're an unchurched person, I can go to the church for this.
2: Yeah.
1: It's like, absolutely. You can go to the church and you could talk to them about that. It's a, it's that third space of solidarity, so to speak. Yeah. Of a partnership. You cannot be a successful urban church unless you're partnering with the institutions within your community and, and doing things that local churches do really well yeah. to help bring uh, a, a it's sort of, if you think about it, like sort of like this ecosystem, like a neighborhood ecosystem, so to speak.
2: Yeah.
0: No, I love that. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm sure there are institutions that, like you say, are in the urban context that people know to go to them. Sadly, in this space, uh, even the data is that a lot of people don't approach pregnancy care centers either. Now that could be because abortion has these other pieces to it where it's so politicized that we know and we're working on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, removing it from the politics. But you're talking about advertising. I just started having an idea bubbling up and I thought I read about this in your research. How much of this is the quote unquote institutional church advertising and how much is the urban Christian being honest with their neighbors and saying like, Hey, I was struggling with fill in the blank. And I went to my church for help. Like I was just sitting here thinking, how can we, Yep. How can we change the brand, as you will, the reputation? Like, I, And I know we always talk about the institution, but I just was thinking about individual believers. I'm putting myself in this. I live in an urban community. What I tell my neighbors is that when I was struggling with my marriage, I looked to my church to set me up with a counselor. Like, that takes a lot of courage. But could we be part of shifting that perception? And we're painting the picture of the church as being this place people can go to.
1: Well, back in its old school days, we called that, Giving a testimony.
0: <laughs> we did. Being a witness. We did. I remember uh
1: doing religion. evangelism.
0: <laughs> yep. Right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, what one of my pet peeves, Angela, is, you know, people say, Oh, I don't know how to do evangelism. Well, if the gospel, which literally means the good news yeah. in the original languages, right. Yeah. And I always tell people, have you ever needed a class to tell people the good news about their life? Mm. If, if you're married and you want to have a child and you've been struggling to have a child and then all of a sudden after a year, you all get pregnant. Does anybody have to give you a class mm-hmm. to tell people we're pregnant? Mm-hmm. No, you're excited and you tell people about the good news that you have. And really, that's all the scriptures ask us to do
2: yeah. is
1: to tell people when God shows up in our lives, whether they're Christian or not Christian. Just share with them. Hey, God's blessed me. Hey, this has happened. You don't need a track. You don't need a class. Yeah. If you're really walking with the Lord, and as you said earlier, you tell people about your struggles. Yeah. You tell people how God has moved in your life and in your heart. And I believe that people who are interested in moving closer to God spiritually, then they'll ask you questions and follow up. Yeah. Tell me more. And the more vulnerable, the more vulnerable that we are. Yeah. Then that's when people share vulnerable things like, you know, I just found out that I'm pregnant. Right. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. You know, the best way that the gospel spreads is through personal relationships, us being authentic in our faith to God and then being vulnerable to those around them so that people know that they can come to us.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm sitting back here, and we'll also link, we did a podcast with Christy Vine, so I think you know, because we're part of a community, uh, Praxis community, she's part of that. But the power of empathetic listening, and I find that, I was just at an event Saturday night, I I met a brand new friend, we have a high school student in common, and she started telling me that one of her children um, transitioned, genders. And I just started Mm. asking questions and it was actually just a beautiful conversation, Alvin. And it was interesting saying this because at the end she said to me, Oh, I'm sorry for telling you all that. Almost like that's not a normal thing we do, but I felt like it was a sacred moment. I I wanted to hear that. So there's the other piece of us, Mm. of us being curious about other people and, um, asking the questions like you say, so I find that sometimes comes first before I share my own, right? Like yes. how do, and I think one mm-hmm. of the problems is we're in a social media world where we feel we have to post on our viewpoint on an issue and that could actually be cutting off relationship where we could just listen to someone. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you see yes. that in an urban context where people live so close together. You know, how can we be, we're talking about being better neighbors, aren't we? I mean, more, more interested in our neighbor.
1: Yes. If you wanted to sum up the entirety of the study, it's the State Farm jingle. Like a good neighbor, wow. State Farm is there. Like a good neighbor, the church is there. Yeah. Like a good neighbor, the congregation is there. Yeah. That's essentially the the summation of the study. Be a good neighbor institutionally to your neighborhood. Be a good neighbor personally to your neighborhood. Yeah, Because that's what people, that's the entry point yeah. to people understanding and knowing who Jesus Christ is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what is your advice? Because I know you do this a lot for you know folks listening to this podcast. You know, like I say, our specific issue is abortion, but we understand that when we value all people and lead with grace, it does touch a lot of issues. So, like, what did the study show? How can we be a better neighbor? Um, and how can our churches be a better neighbor when people are struggling? Because I know there were actual. There's actual data of what people wanted to see the church address, right? Um, community and relationships, like we've been talking about, yes. but also family instability, healthcare, income, housing, those really important things. What does that tell us about some avenues we have for being a good
2: neighbor?
1: Well, really, we—you know, I wrote a book on this, shameless book plug. I wrote I a book it. on this <laughs> called uh, Uncommon Church. Yes, it's called Uncommon Church, Community Transformation for the Common Good, which talks in depth, and answers the question that you're talking about. But essentially, there's three main things that the church needs to do. One is empower, empower people, create pathways of opportunities, especially for the marginalized yeah. um, that's in the neighborhood. Give them the opportunity that if they want to, because they're all they're their own free moral agents, but if they want to have a better life, give them the opportunity to do that. So as a former pastor, former urban pastor, the ways that our church did that is two ways. One, well, actually three ways. One was we did tutoring for the local elementary school. We had an after-school center where kids could come. They can do their homework. We would encourage them. We would help them to become uh, better learners. We also had a food pantry, food pantry that helped people in the neighborhood who were struggling to eat. And then we also had a we had a partnership with, with a, a local university that did health checks. Mm. So people could come in. They could get their food on one side and then if they wanted to they can go answer a couple of health questionnaires get a couple of screenings and say if they had diabetes then they'd say hey look you have diabetes you could you need to go around the corner to the to the health clinic or whatever Is at the other so we did a lot of things and really anything that you think that your church can do to help empower people in the community to have better lives that's one thing you can do and then we also talked about the other thing which is partnership mm-hmm. that don't be isolated yeah Join the, 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 uh, the, uh, neighborhood councils, the gazillion different neighborhood councils that you have pick one, join it. Um, I'm trying to remember what we, oh, we were part of the, uh, the the chamber of commerce, right. I'd go to the chamber of commerce meetings. Yeah. You say, well, why is the pastor to chamber of commerce meetings? Well, well, I'm going to meet all the local business people.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I'm going to hang out with them. I'm going to hear what they have planned for the neighborhood. I'm going to look for it. Opportunities to to where the church can be positioned to be able to engage. So partner as best you can with as many of the different entities within the within the community. And so empower and partner. If we empower and we part in part and partner with people, then it leads to the reaching of our community for Christ. Which ultimately at the end of the day, if you're a church, that's what you want to see happen. You want to see people come to the faith. You want to see their lives change. You want to see their lives transformed. You want to see God rise. We want them to understand that God is bigger than the circumstances that they find themselves in. Yeah. So that's sort of what I talk about in the book, yeah. empower, partner, reach. reach. And that brings the common good of the community that helps the, that helps the community become a better place. And that's how you can become a good neighbor.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I'm sitting here, okay, I've never been a pastor, but I have led an organization, talked to a lot of pastors, mm-hmm. and I think... As soon as I hear Empower and all these programs, I get like tired, right? Like, oh my gosh, we got to start a food pantry. So I love that you lead right into partner because what we're finding is there's a lot of people doing good work, right? And if we would lay aside whatever we need to lay aside as churches and organizations and, and start to work together and trust, I agree with you. I think partnership is the answer because I don't know if you've seen this, but I feel like sometimes churches can get so busy building programs that what gets left out is actually the being, the being a safe community, or let's say having a program for a marginalized group, but not addressing, um, not discipling people into accepting that group fully into the church, right? So we have this kind of dichotomy where <laughs> are we judging the people that we're trying to empower? And, and the church has a unique opportunity to kind of shift their G- DNA to be safe and welcoming um, as opposed to spending all their time on programs where they can partner with other people to do that. So kind of like we talked on a microcosm about being a good neighbor and asking questions, but how about empowering the congregation to be safe and welcoming to not just think about the food pantry, but think about welcoming those folks into the church or, you know, that's a, it's a huge thing in the abortion issue. I would say people have said, Oh, let's, we'll refer people to this other nonprofit, But then I've talked to pastors like, well, how would I welcome, and they'll use words like those women, unintentionally, Alvin, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, well, how do I welcome people back in the church? So it's like, what's that beautiful piece about grace and the gospel that the church holds uniquely that goes beyond programs and speaks to the actual environment that would be welcoming for people who feel like they have nowhere else to go?
1: I'm not going to be as hard on programs as you are because <laughs> uh, programs are a good, good thing. No,
0: you could push but, it back. That's awesome. <laughs> but
1: too many, but you are correct in that too many of them is a bad thing. The key to programs is the right program mm-hmm. for your situation. Yep. So yep. for instance, I talked about wh- when I did pasture and we did a food pantry, we didn't do a food pantry because, hey, we just like to do a food pantry. That's not why we did the food pantry. We did the food pantry because we used the phenomenal resource that I recommend. And you should probably put in the show notes called, um, asset based community development,
0: Absolutely, we'll put which
1: it is a group out of DePaul university oh. will train leaders and churches on how to do what is called community asset mapping. Right. You literally go out into your neighborhood and you build on it and you find out what are the assets in the neighborhood? Because most of the time when a, a, uh, urban neighborhood has looked at it's looked at it for its deficits. Mm. Like it's, it's the age old question is the glass is the glass half empty mm-hmm. or is the glass half full, right? Wow. Well yeah. asset-based community development says that's the wrong question. Yeah. The question is how much water is in the glass and how can we raise the water level in the glass if we look at water as an asset, right? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we went out and we mapped our neighborhood. I love this. And what we found out was that if you were Homeless, and destitute, there were plenty of food for you, places for you to eat and stuff like that. But the group that was suffering was what I would call the, the, the service industry moms. Mm. You know, yeah. you heard of soccer moms? Well, these are service industry moms. Yeah. These are women who mainly worked in service industries. They had enough money to cover about three weeks of groceries. But that fourth week is what was the deficit. Mm. So we opened up a specialized food pantry for working people. Mm. If you were working but you didn't you had more you didn't have enough money to make it through the month, we'd give you what we called one week's emergency supply of groceries to help you make that a fourth week. So that was a that's the type of programs that a church should do. The church should say we're looking at all of our partners, we're looking at everything in the neighborhood that is happening, right? But the neighborhood doesn't have this. So then let's deliver whatever this is. Yeah. So that's the macro answer to your question. I love that. The micro answer is I'm going to, I'm going to pitch shamelessly again, another program
2: Yeah. Great. that
1: World Impact actually offers, which is we train churches on how to do trauma healing. Yes. So there are, in particularly within the urban context, there are so many things that happen to people and it traumatizes them. Yes. So, we teach churches how to start trauma healing groups, trauma healing circles. This is not meant to be counseling, but provide trauma informed care. Right. So, for instance, if someone comes in and they've experienced an abortion, yeah. which is a traumatic experience, this is what the church could do with this person. This is what they can do with the individual to help them um, start to emerge from that trauma experience.
2: Yeah.
1: And so. That's one of the best things I think I'm I'm biased. We have, yeah. we have several programs, but I believe at World Impact, maybe our most impactful one might be our trauma healing training, wow. trauma healing program.
2: I
0: love that. Okay. And I can see that tying into what we talked about before, which is people in the church go through this program and God meets them there. And then that's there as we talked about testimony, right? This is where if the churches are doing this for exactly. our own people, then we can be open as we're having discussions and talk about... That healing. And to me, that's what creates like a level playing field that I'm talking about, right? How can the church be welcoming? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I, and and I love this. I love, love, love the focus of your food pantry on moms (laughs) who are struggling. You know, what was that like? I don't know if you have a story what was that like for your congregation to interact with people from the community? And did some of those women find a home in your church? Like what was that connection like where I know you're offering an institutional program, but I'm guessing you were using church folk to do it. And how did that impact certain women and their lives and their kids?
1: Well, the funny thing, Angela is we, we had what I call a community congregation that developed. So we created that, th- we created that third space that yeah. we talked about before. Yeah. You come to the food pantry, get your food. We had a health check station. You know, you could go and you could get your health check. But then we found people wanted prayer.
2: Oh, I love So
1: this. then, yeah, so I stuck. So we, not only did we have a health check station, we created a spiritual check, check in station. Awesome. So one of our staff would be back in the back or a church member. And so then people would, get their food. And this is all voluntary, right? They can get their food and get their health in, They can go, and they can have prayer, right? They say, well, do you want, what do you want me to pray for? Wow. And so what we found out is people actually, I remember talking one time, this is funny. I was talking to this lady and, you know, I was doing the pastor thing and I was like, Hey, you know, I'd love for you to come to our church on, on Sunday. She said, Oh, where are you pastor? I said, Riverfly church. She said, Oh, that's my church. And I go, <laughs> You know, basically, I'm going, I've never seen you there. She said, oh, no, yeah, I come to the food pantry every Saturday.
0: And that's her church. So
1: basically, these folk for the community,
0: they saw that as their
1: church. They did not see that as their food pantry because they were coming there for their food. But then they were going to talk to his name was Pastor Arnold Davis. They'd hang with Pastor Davis and he'd pray for them and he'd encourage them and he'd he'd mentor them. And for them, that was their service. I love that. So, yeah, very few made the bridge from Saturday to Sunday but they were getting ministered to.
2: Yeah.
0: And you guys figured out intentionally how to cross that line, right? How to, how to go where people were. And I just think that's a beautiful picture of church being outside the walls intentionally. That's great. Wow.
1: Well, it's that, it's that third space. It's that social solidarity third space, right? So ours was food pantry and a health check. And then when people entered into that space, they let us know Yeah, we'd like something spiritual back here, yeah. yeah, which, you know, I don't know about you, but my best things that have happened to me, I sort of stumbled into, <laughs> I didn't like yes. originate and just say, oh yeah, I'm gonna do this from the start. No, I just kind of stumbled into it and said, oh, right. this, this works. Let's, let's do this. Right. So <laughs>
0: exactly. No. Yeah. And then you look back 10 years later, like, oh Lord, was that you or was that just me stumbling? So yes, <laughs> I get that. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask I wanted to ask one last question and appreciate your um, insight on this. There was a bit that came out in the study about working towards racial unity among churches and I know it wasn't a, a focus of it, but it's really important to us I, pro- I just feel like Christians need to be united like right if we're gonna meet the needs are out there, we got to be one kingdom family. and so I didn't know if you wanted to speak to, how could we do a better job in this? I know we're we're working on it, but what's yet still to be done? What can we learn for specifically urban churches? Or you did some research actually with non-urban churches too. You know, what do you see as a pathway forward for us to? And I think this is a testimony to Jesus, to the community, right? If the church can be united um, and if we can apologize and repent and work towards unity, wow, I mean, what a demonstration to our community. So... Love to hear your thoughts on that from the study or from your work with World Impact.
1: Well, this is another shameless book plug. Okay. So <laughs> a book that I wrote years ago was called Bridging a Diversity Gap. Great. Okay. And the bottom line is when, when it comes to racial and ethnic issues, we need to understand the differences and act on the commonalities mm. because there are differences.
0: Wait, okay. So Sorry, it does
1: nobody, yeah, yes. Yeah. Understand, understand the, the differences. differences act on the commonalities that's
0: what doesn't happen okay yeah go ahead with what you're saying i just wanted to repeat it so people got it
1: yes no no so for instance i'm an african-american male you're a white female right Right. there's going to be obvious differences what happens typically is people highlight the differences and weaponize them Mm. but if i were to draw a circle as an african-american christian man and you were to draw a circle as a white Christian woman, I could almost guarantee you that our values, attitudes, and beliefs, if we put all our values, attitudes, and beliefs in those circles, yep, probably seven to eighty percent of them yep. would overlap, yep, and then anywhere from ten to thirty percent would be different. It's the overlapping of the values and attitudes and beliefs that we have as human beings which creates the common ground for us to see each other as human and to work together, yeah so that's that's the high level of what needs to happen,
0: yeah, well, and as Christians, I would guess a lot of our values overlap because of the time we spend with Jesus and the value we place on his words. And to your point, if churches, if we start there, yes. I think what's happening is, and this is my plug for what we're doing in pro grace we assign ourselves like political positions on things instead of kingdom positions. And so if you and I, we may be different politically, but we don't even need to discuss that because we're going to have some real commonality in how we say Jesus shows up for people. And man, if the church could focus on that and unite around that to start having the harder discussions to your point of the 10 to 30%,
1: exactly, what could
0: that look like?
1: Yes. So it's not that politics aren't important. They're absolutely important. Um, But it's the way that the politics are positioned, yeah. which makes them toxic, you yeah. know, and makes conversations almost impossible to have right. uh when it comes to politics. Instead of declaring war on individuals, we need to if we are acting on our commonalities, then we can begin to understand, OK, what are the differences? Yes. And why do you think this way politically? And this is why I think this way politically. Yeah. And then engaging one another, yeah. because it actually is possible to have a good political discussion as long as people really know each other. It's just like anything else. Yeah. If I really know you, yeah, then I can talk to you about hard things. Yeah. But if I don't know you, well, then I'm um, you're going to get pigeonholed and stereotype as a particular person. Because yeah. I don't really know you. I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're coming from. Yeah. But there's all kinds of people I have great friendships with that we don't agree with on everything. Right. From politics to sports to you name it. Right. Right. But it doesn't kill our relationship.
0: Because you built that trust. And I think that's what acting on commonalities does. I'm sure there's brain science on this somewhere. Like, mm-hmm. right, We're we're checking to see if people are safe. Yes. And as we understand the commonalities, it allows us to feel like, oh, this person shares this value. I can be safe. And you're right. That's when we can talk about the differences. But it's almost flipped now in society sometimes with the way we dialogue. And we got to get back to that acting on commonality. I think that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Now the it's it's a hyper focus on differences. Right. And the scary part is it's not only a hyper focus on differences. It's if you are different from me, you are my enemy. That's the scary thing.
2: Right.
1: You're a bad person if you think different from me. Yeah. Not entering into a, you know, it's a very uncivil moment. In fact, there are people who wrote whole uh, think pieces on the reason we don't we shouldn't be civil, you know, against civility. And it's like, well, if we lose civility, good luck with trying to run a a productive society.
0: Right. Because society is focused on our commonalities and the things we all want safety <laughs> belonging right like well that's what it's supposed to be a, built on
1: yeah a unified focusing society is yeah but i don't know how you run a society if if the, if the focus is always on differences right right and the weaponize it's really the weaponizing of differences
0: right maybe that's why we sense god doing this thing where he's calling the church to focus on unity the commonality we have in christ like could we lead the way in our culture I believe he's given us a roadmap and like you talked about, I mean, we have to, I, I think maybe in other generations, maybe we weren't as aware of it, but it's so glaring right now in the culture that I do think it's a unique opportunity for the church to step forward with the commonality. And maybe that's what makes us feel safe back to that whole first thing we talked about. Maybe that's the light shining in the, community is they know they're safe, they're welcome. We're focusing on common good. You use that word. And just the commonality we have in Jesus of we're under his grace, <laughs> come as you are type thing. What a haven the church would be from like you talked about the divisiveness that's in society now.
1: Yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. You might be a preacher,
2: Angela. I don't know. Thanks for not challenging me on that.
0: (laughs) Um, I appreciate this. This Oh, (laughs) ma'am. This has been so great, Alvin, and we will put your books in the show notes and the the link to your organization. And just any last words you have for us of encouragement before we wrap out this podcast?
1: Well, I would just want to say that... um, I'm very appreciative of you and the work that you're doing with Pro Grace because the space that you're trying to create, that space of trying to talk about the, the issue of abortion in a graceful way and in a way that's non political is so rare. Unfortunately, it's too rare. Yeah. But I just want to encourage you to continue on on that journey. Your voice is definitely needed because we need more spaces like yours that you're trying to create for the young women and men actually who need places to process things um our good friend chris right i'll never forget she told us um of a a veil yes um she told me the stat the stat i'll never forget it that the overwhelming majority of the women who get abortions don't want to get one they don't want to get one and so if Opportunity for the church to say if they—if most of them are looking just to get some questions answered, and if you can help them and understand and get the questions answered that they're looking for, that they'll keep the baby. That's the road forward, yeah. not politics.
0: Right, in well, my opinion, Well, you're yeah. absolutely right, and that's why I love what you're doing because we need the church because it's it's actually a survival decision a lot of times, and women feel like there's no other way, and so the type of mm-hmm. community we've been talking about today is exactly what women and their partners yes. and their families need. So um I love that we're partnering together, like you talk about, and I think that that this is the way forward for the church. so blessings to you and your work and so grateful for what you do and that you were with us today. It's great talking with you.
1: Yes. Thank you, Angela. appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you've been inspired to see Jesus and to be part of a community where you feel at home. Join our email subscriber list to receive updates on how together we can change the Christian response to abortion. The only way we'll do that is through God's grace, which is beyond measure. I am so grateful for that. And so until next time, I'm Angela Wesley on the grace journey with you. Pro Grace on Abortion Real Talk, No Politics is a production of Pro Grace International.